Welcome to the segment of Indie Creators brought to you by Be Simply. And today we have special guest Robert Mulhall from Kerpalo Center for Yoga and Health. He is the chief and he is committed to creating a more beautiful world. Without further ado, let's dive in with Robert. excited to have you. Um, I want to maybe dive in, I thought intuitively, if you can share with the listeners a little bit about how you intersected a man of numbers, uh, Kerpalu, like what, where are the ley lines that brought you to them and them to you? Yeah, oh, there's so much to that answer. Uh, I was born and raised in Ireland um, and grew up in a family and went to a an elementary and high school that was very inspired by the spiritual teachings of the east mm. so i had a an upbringing and an immersion in what we teach at Kerpalo basically from a very young age but all the way in ireland mm. and um, it was that combined with a real sort of ethos of service in my family and in that school that um led me on a on a path that some might see as meandering but for me i've always treated it as a life and career as a jungle gym to be explored not just a ladder to climb mm -hmm. and so that brought me to the numbers world of pricewaterhousecoopers and big business and trying to understand how businesses work um to the worlds of uh, leadership development um, and how do you help combine these contemplative practices and ancient wisdom with modern leadership frameworks to activate better leadership in our world mm -hmm. to working in india and africa for many years supporting women and children accessing health services um, and then into organizational change and consulting and transformation and executive coaching and through that kerpalo hired me uh, back in 2018 and i worked for about a year as a consultant um, supporting the CEO at the time and the board and different teams to go through a cultural transformation and um, yeah, do some, the, the organization did some beautiful work at that time um, to find deeper alignment within itself. And then in that process, the, I was asked to join as a VP of programming and strategy and then uh, did that for about nine months and then the pandemic hit and we closed our doors and uh, few, uh, several months into that process, I was asked to be the CEO and took on at a very interesting time. Really, November 2020 was when I kind of mm -hmm. took on the reins and it was a time of deep uncertainty. Um, vaccines hadn't been rolled out. Were, vaccines weren't even really clear if they were going to be working or not. And yeah, um, yeah we were shut and we laid, laid off most of our team and um, we didn't really know what was next. Mm -hmm. mm. So you've been at stormy seas for, uh, in a place that encourages you to be still. So how did your practices uh, help you through everything that you've traversed over the past several years? 
Yeah, I was talking to a few other executive directors, CEOs recently, and they we asked each other this question: How's your how's your care for yourself going? What grade would you give yourself? Mm. And everybody said a lot of people said C, C minus, D plus. Maybe there was a B, B minus in there. And somebody asked me, and I just said a non-negotiable A, mm. um, because I could not. I just couldn't do this job if I wasn't looking after myself, mm. looking after myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, and I say those as if they're separate from each other, but they're all completely bound up and intertwined together. Yeah. Um, so I, I, as I said, I had this long, rich history of um, practice and exposure to these practices from a young age. And so practice is just part of my day. It's, mm. it's just a non-negotiable I. I sit every morning um, in meditation and, and then pray. And sometimes I'll journal with that uh, and then I'll move my body in some way, whether that's sort of exercise or it's yoga asana or it's dance um, and sing with my beautiful five-year-old boy. Mm. And, uh, and then just try to take care of the, uh, the vehicle that I get to use mm. and, um, and do that not just at the beginning of the day, but during the day, you know, at work, other moments. And we do this at Kripalu all the time where we come back to our center. Mm. And uh, if I wasn't doing that regularly, I would be, uh, I would not be a very pleasant person to work with. Mm. Aho, yeah. bravo, bravo. <laughs> it's, I, I think a lot, I'm glad you checked in with people because I, I would say a lot of people felt more like they've been on a marathon and a fever dream uh and pivoting left right in center throughout this uh i call it the brouhaha it's like a more yeah. gentle name uh over the past several years so that's beautiful that you walk the talk i love it and as yeah. um you all are re-emerging what are you finding is the um kind of the call what are people requesting now that they're in a kind of recovery regeneration process yeah. So August 2023 is the two year mark of reopening. And um, we're, we're hearing and seeing quite a quite a few things. Uh, people are very hungry um, mm -hmm. to be back together in community. Yeah. Um, online has been fantastic and we continue to serve many, many people online. Um, and that allows us to reach people and have greater access, which is fantastic. Um, and there's a hunger for people to be together and practice together and so people are looking for community they're also uh, a lot of people are really affected by sleep right now um, so we're doing a lot of programming and support around helping people reset their nervous systems so that they can down regulate that's the whole experience here is down regulate your nervous system slow down eat great food be held in this incredibly healing land and um, then be in these experiences in the program room that help you ask and answer some big questions, help you see and release something that maybe needs to be healed, maybe, mm. maybe make a decision or a commitment about some sort of transformation in your life. And so people, when people first came, they really just needed to be held and like high, high, high levels of anxiety in folks. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was just a big release. And then we started to realize that after that initial release, people really wanted to grieve. Mm. So we've been running grief uh, share circles for people 
on a regular basis now that's all online um and then as time has gone on there's the continuing of people feeling high anxiety there's the continuation continuation of people needing to really grieve and then people are starting to step back into oh what else what what else is my life inviting me into what do i want to what do i want to be curious about what do i want to explore and so i think people are allowing themselves a little bit more of that also which is wonderful mm, beautiful and how could you share with the listeners uh to encourage them because this is you know when there's great loss you know we go through these stages of grief and anger and then um a phase that cause is I say is action or retraction. But if we were encouraging people mm -hmm. to go back into action and rebuild trust, what, what's a technique you could share with people to start to trust themselves and maybe the world at large? I think this whole idea of trust is, um, you know, if we don't trust ourselves, it's very hard to trust anybody else. That's not saying anything particularly new there, but the, like, how much time are we really spending with ourselves? How much time are we spending with our bodies? And we're spending a whole lot of time with our minds and our thinking minds, but are we spending enough time with our bodies? One of the big things we do here at Kabbalah is slow people down and get them back in their bodies, whether that's through the physical aspects of yoga um, through sitting meditation, through uh, mindful outdoor experiences like kayaking and hiking, et cetera, or through our yoga dance and movement, like get in your body. Um, my body is full of wisdom that I am often slow to hear. And I've got um, lots of examples of that. One quick one is when my father died seven years ago, the year after he passed, I was out cycling and I stubbed my toe as I was getting off the bike. And it was excruciatingly painful. And then I, um, about 30 minutes later, I hit that toe again. And this is at the point of like, I thought I was going to throw up. I was in so much pain on this one toe. I'm pretty sure it had, it had broken at this stage. And five minutes later, I know that I have to move again. I have to walk somewhere. So I decided that I'm going to walk so slowly and so mindfully that I, there's no way that I could possibly stub my toe. And I was doing that. And after about four steps, somehow it was like something else took over and stubbed my toe. I was walking so slowly and so mindfully and I stubbed my toe again. The pain was so bad that I was lying on the floor on my back. And I just put my hand on my chest and I could feel the tears flowing from the pain. And I just said, what are you trying to tell me? because I don't usually stub my toe, toe three times in a row, especially when I'm being so careful. And uh, my body just said to me, says, you're missing your dad. Mm. Feel it. And I was lying on my back and I just started to weep. I just started to weep and weep and weep. Um, and that was my body's sort of dramatic way of getting my attention because I wasn't going slow enough to actually feel and listen to what was going on. And that took me into a whole beautiful exploration around body and its wisdom. And I think that's a big place where people can start is to start to listen to our bodies. I think the other place for me that's been so valuable is nature. Um, maybe I'm not always willing to trust what my mind is telling me. Um, but uh, again, I'm Irish, so we grew up with the, this um, cosmology that everything is your relation. 
and very similar to many other indigenous um, indigenous sort of teachings and traditions that everything is our relation and so he goes i spend time with my back against a tree and then i'll maybe ask it a question you know what what wisdom do you have to share right now and um there's an ability to trust that um in because it somehow feels softer sometimes than my thinking mind what my thinking mind has to say and so those two have been incredibly powerful and then you know as people come into community again and as they start to trust themselves more i think it really is about how do we find our humanity again mm. uh, we have in this country in the united states we have decided um, that it is more important to be right and it is more important to be divided than it is to be together and that does not lead the trajectory of that is not good it is not yeah. healthy and it is not balanced and it is not um it's not peaceful and you know i come from ireland where for a long long time um people had gotten to such a point of losing the humanity of the person in front of them that you know thousands and thousands of people died over decades and there's a lot of complexity to all of these things of course but you know we feel like we're in this place in the us where everything is now a point of division everything can be a point of division and it's becoming everything's becoming a point of division because internally we're so divided um and again at Kerpala, we're, we're we're in the work and the business of um community or in the work and the business of looking at that um division and the disconnection that leads to division the disconnection from self from source from from earth and from community and so how do we help people come back into a journey of connection connecting to ourselves our own wisdom our own beauty our own enoughness connecting to the the beauty wisdom and enoughness of community of this earth and nature and of source however you hold that word to be and when we can be connected when i'm connected with those things when we're all connected with those things there's a greater chance of us being able to listen to each other a greater chance of us being able to maybe actually learn from each other even if we we have historically held very different political or social ideologies but that there's always something to learn from somebody even if it's Absolutely. just about you and your reactions um but mm. you know no matter what side of a political conversation you're on uh there's not a lot of listening going on mm. um, and okay. used to, used to run these programs in South Africa uh, leadership programs in South Africa and one of the stories that always stood out for me was there was the black consciousness movement which was the the younger um younger freedom fighters in South Africa fighting against apartheid that were kind of coming of age in the 80s and then the ANC the African National Congress who had been really imprisoned since the 60s and they were the elders like um mm. uh Nelson Mandela etc and when these younger people with all of this energy and this freshness and this sort of um independence and autonomy were starting to be imprisoned in Robben Island with the older ANC uh, folks who had sort of held this sort of 
elder status and have held this um, importance in the movement, the young folks were like, who are you? You're not out on the streets. Your friends aren't the ones dying. We've been leading this fight. You've all been locked away. And a lot of the ANC guys were very put off by this. They felt very disrespected. They didn't feel honored by the work and service that they and sacrifice that they'd given over so many years beforehand, before many of these people were born. And Nelson Mandela, in all of his wisdom, he said, we, let's go and listen to them. That was the response. It wasn't how dare they, who these young upstarts think, who, who they think they are. It was like, let's go listen. And they went and listened. And through that listening, what happened was like so many movements, they, there's usually a fractioning, but they didn't. They actually held it together. And they, the black consciousness movement of um, Steve Biko and the, led by Steve Biko and the ANC movement led by Mandela and the others, they held the unity together, even if they shared differences in some tactics, et cetera, and the strategies. They, because they were willing to listen to each other and you can only listen to somebody when you remember their humanity. Yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, and you share something really important because I always share with everyone that no matter even during the brouhaha or politics or whatever, mm -hmm. when there's opposing solutions, when really there's a 360 degree wheel we could approach yeah. to, to find yeah. a solution. Um, the common denominator is uh, fear. And so everyone's acting out of their own fear, not typically like, okay, let's be uh, rational here. It's just like, this is my solution to the fear and so forth. Right. Uh, so can you share a little bit about how to, when accessing humanity, how to really make peace with one's own fear? Because I feel that gives us more capacity to listen. Uh, because we kind of sent fear up into the apple tree to hang out, you know, so we yeah. could have a conversation. Yeah. I think there's lots of different ways to do it. Uh, in my own practice, I take a few different approaches. Um, one is when I notice fear or anger or shame or any of those beautiful, normal emotions that come up all the time. Yeah. Uh, instead of trying to get rid of them and aim for perfection, which is a, a dead end street that's full of just hard knocks basically um i do a few things so one is i check in to see how much of this is mine so is this is this truly personal fear or is this ancestral fear is this collective fear is this the fear of the person in front of me and i just feel it because i'm sort of a wired up that way so i check in how much is mine okay and sometimes i'm like oh that's not mine okay i'll i'll allow that to be um owned by the uh, the person who owns that and just try to like let something go a little bit and sometimes that just creates a little bit more space inside of me as I've let go of the the additional burden that I put on my shoulders of holding all of the fear mm. in this situation on my shoulders um, and then when there's still there's you know plenty of times when there's still fear there um, I'll sort of take a few different angles and it sort of depends on what space I'm in one angle is is just oh hey sweetheart I see you. Okay, sweetheart. You can come, you can sit around the table with us. You don't get to drive the bus, but you can be mm -hmm. here. And just sort of very, very tenderly saying, oh, it's okay, sweetheart. There you are. I see you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's a sort of a Byron Katie approach of, oh, I'm feeling this. And then I go, well, what's the story behind that? What's, what am I? 
sort of building up around that sensation. It's like, well, uh, this will never happen or this terrible thing will happen or whatever it is. I go, is that true? Do I 100% know that that's true? And I, it's always a no because I'm projecting some, some idea into an unknown, unknown future. So I go, okay, so it's not actually true. It's not actually happening in this moment. Remember people when, again, I'll keep talking about my dad because I love him so much, but when he was passing, people were like, are you not feeling so sad? I said, not yet. They're like, why not? And I said, because he's right here. I said, that will come. And everybody grieves in different ways. So that's not a judgment about people that feel sad before somebody leaves or transitions. But just for me, it was just like, no, he's here. I'm talking to him right now. I actually don't have anything to be sad about right now. So like, what's, what's really true in this moment? So that deep, like compassion of it's okay, sweetheart. And what's really true and sort of using the mind to inquire into that. And then that sort of fierce love that, that sort of cutting sword of no, mm. just no. The fear is coming up is like, no, you do not get to, you, you do not get to drive the bus in this moment. Yeah. I see you. I know what you are. No. I'm not going to stuff you down, but just no. And so it's like, you know, talking to a puppy that you're trying to train and it's doing whatever it's doing. Yeah. Um, and so those are the three kind of different little mini practices. Um, and then the thing that really helps me is staying in the back half of my body. So most of my experiences of where my attention and my energy is literally in the front inch of my body. It's like here, it's here, it's yeah. here, it's all at the front. And can I, even in this moment, just notice where my energy is and then just let it sort of fall back into my body so that my, I'm coming from behind here at the back of my heart, the back of my hara, and then coming through my whole body and as I listen, as I speak, etc. Beautiful. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's kind of like when you go in Shavasana, like you get to feel your spine meets, meet the mat and yeah. get to be yeah. completely from there. Um, so if you can share as you were talking about fear and saying no, and you're appear to be really connected to nature, uh, mm. share with the listeners, the purpose of fear in nature, as you've observed it, the purpose of fear in nature. Yeah. Like as yeah. you've observed it from your life experiences. Oh, that's a good question. And you know, the truth is um, we are nature also. So when you yeah. ask me that question, I, I'll keep the, the human being in mind as much as the, um, the dog being or the sheep being or the deer being. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What I've noticed about fear in nature, both in my own human nature and the sort of um, the rest of nature is that it's, it's there just like anger. It's, it's there to, sort of signal something to us, mm. signaling something to me about, um, I feel like maybe I'm, you know, over the edge of something. Uh, I'm feeling like maybe I'm pushing myself too hard or I'm crossing a boundary. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how it sort of shows up for me a lot of the time um, or how I kind of use it. It was like, oh, okay. Here's this thing. And then I like, just like I was saying about the body, I think it's this incredible 
when we can notice it and notice it and sort of maybe run some of the tools and techniques to soften and create a bit more space so I can stay present and in my body and grounded in a conversation of listening or whatever. But can I also use fear to, to sort of turn that camera around on myself and to become more, to use it as an opportunity to become even more aware of what's, what's happening inside, what, what is the inner state of being. And so when I'm afraid of something, um, usually there's, there's something that feels at stake for me as an individual. So the, mm. the Robert part of me is um, really wanting something to go a certain way. Mm. And more and more and more um, as I do this job and I continue to live into my practices, I seem to be getting invited into deeper and deeper uncertainty in life. It's just, and I think that's kind of how life is going to unfold for us mm. as, as, a, as a planet and that we are just going to have more and more uncertainty. And so mm. if that's true with climate and with all the other things that are happening, um, if there's going to be deeper uncertainty, what are the practices and the sort of cosmological worldview that's going to support thriving in uncertainty? And mm. a lot of the time we're still trying to like control and box and structure and keep everything in its yeah. place. Um, but for me, a big piece of it is kind of comes up in this quote of uh, show up fully, serve fully, and then surrender fully. Mm. And that idea of surrendering, really surrendering the outcome. Um, it's been, I think, one of the biggest leadership lessons that I've had over the last three years is, can I show up so fully to this work and serve so fully and then mm. surrender the outcome? Because it's all much bigger than me anyway. And, yeah. and if I release myself of that burden of it has to look a certain way or it has to sort of end a certain way or conclude a certain way, then I'm sort of leaning more away from fear and into faith and that yeah. there, is, there is something beautiful unfolding here. Um, or even if it doesn't feel beautiful or look beautiful, that there is something unfolding here. And I'm going to choose to trust what is unfolding. Um, and I get that that's like, I've got lots of friends that are like, oh, I don't trust what's unfolding. It's like, great, that's beautiful. That's your path. My path is different. Mine's not better than yours. Yours is not better than mine. It's just a different way of seeing the world and a different way of wanting to be in the world. And so for me, it's like, okay, no matter what, and life's thrown me some plenty of um, heartbreaks and lots of curveballs, And, um, and I had lots of privilege in my life too. Um, but can I, can I trust that my life is unfolding just for me? I can't talk about anybody else's life, but just for me, can I, can I hold the view that life is unfolding for me in the way that somehow I really wanted it to? Somehow that I, this was the, this was the way that was gonna help me find my deepest liberation. If I, if I worked with all of these things that have happened in my life. And, and again, I, I couldn't, I could never extrapolate that idea or principle onto anybody else's life, but for mine, it feels like a good way to look at it. Absolutely. Well, you're touching on a little bit about cause and effect in a roundabout way. Mm -hmm. uh, when we have trust and faith um, and maybe understand that concept for some, it might be foreign or simplistic, meaning 
I throw a rock in the pond, it leaves some rings. But uh, can you share a little bit about responsibility, like right now mm -hmm. as we're coming together, you're, you're welcoming humanity to come together and have conversation and unite in a way that could be uh, more mindful. Because mm -hmm. I, I always said during this whole process, we all co-created the reality that we landed in three years ago. Yeah and the one that we co-created in our response to it, which to your point was um, maybe not our highest and best, you know, because we, we were reacting to some unknowns or fear. So if you can share a little bit about um, how to be more self-aware and giving us some great techniques, but moving forward as a humanity uh, mm -hmm. and having compassion for one another, but really, you know, it's sometimes hard, you know, we, being a, you're a numbers guy, mm -hmm. five, 10, 15 year forecast. This is like an eternal forecast. So can you share a little yeah. bit how we could be more mindful with that forecast? <laughs> yeah. And I'll just, before I answer that one, I'll just say that um, I was always struck by an answer. Uh, I think it was Eckhart Tolle. He said, we often look back at a decision or a moment in time and we say, oh, you know, that was a bad thing to happen. And then a few years later, oh, you know, I got a lot of learning from that. I wouldn't, you know, I'd want that to happen again. And 15 years later, oh, I don't know, it wasn't such a great thing. And, you know, I know there's plenty of beautiful old Zen stories about these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And people say, you know, was our response to the pandemic a good one or not? I'm like, depends when we ask that question. Depends on the moment we ask that question. Because at a certain moment, some people were, a lot of people were saying, this is a great response. And then at another moment, people were saying this is a terrible response. And another moment, people were saying it was a good response. Another moment, it was a terrible response. So I'm curious to know what we'll be saying in 20 years about that. Um, yeah. Somebody said, uh, somebody once asked somebody, what do you think the impact of the French Revolution was? And he says, we'll see. Like it's still, the ripple is still going on the French Revolution. Yeah. The ripple will still continue from the pandemic and the response to the pandemic and our response to the response of the pandemic. Um, but with all of those things, the reality is I, we live in a, in the westernized world, we live in a pretty, um, pretty dominant culture that is oppressive. It's oppressive to um, black indigenous people of color. It's oppressive to uh, folks who are um, in certain socioeconomic classes. It's oppressive to certain genders. Um, it's oppressive to certain orientations and anything that's oppressive is not sustainable it's just not it does it, like nature throws that out history has shown that um the question i think is going to be just how long will it is it sustainable um and at what point will there be will there be transformation and how ease easeful will that transformation be or not and uh, whatever we do and however we move forward, I think there's, there's three big lies that um, we all co-create as a society together. Um, the first lie is that as individuals, we're not enough. That somehow we are, as an individual, we are fundamentally flawed, broken, missing, like it's like we're, we're part of a jigsaw puzzle. We're almost a jigsaw puzzle, but there's all of these squares that are missing, all of these pieces that are missing. And you've got to spend your whole life 
trying to go out and find these squares, these parts of you to complete you um, because you're not enough. The second lie is, is that we're all separate from each other, that we look, we look different, we act different, we think differently, we sing differently, therefore we're different and different means not the same. And then the third one is, is that we're um, sort of hopeless and there's nothing that can be done. Those three lies, I don't, I don't believe there's some like a, a small group of men in white suits that sort of try to keep that message going in the world. But I think we swim in those waters and I think we sort of self-perpetuate it as a society. And at Kerbalo, at Kerbalo, we're constantly trying to change that idea. The idea from not enoughness to wholeness, that just as we are at our inherent essential nature, we are whole and we are complete and we are beautiful. And yes, we are also at the same time on a developmental journey um, to show up in better, with more skill, with right relationship, um, with more open and loving hearts, with less uh, biases and racism, et cetera, all of these things. So this ongoing journey of development is true from a place of wholeness, not from a place of not enoughness. And then the second is that nothing is separate. It never has been and it never will be. And yes, to the naked eye, it all looks very separate. Um, but the, the ancient traditions have talked about this, this uh, the oneness of all things, the inseparability of all things, and that we look like we are uh, individual expressions, but we're individual expressions of an undivided whole, like mushrooms yeah. that come up on the forest floor are just expressions of the mycelium that's unseen below the forest floor. And, and that science, quantum science, is now really starting to prove this, that there actually, there is nothing that's separate. It is just a, a dancing of, of molecules and atoms, et cetera, um, that, that happened for a moment or for a particular length of time, form a certain shape, and then, and then move on. And, and then the, this final idea that, oh, on this one, and I firmly believe that if you look at the all of the big sort of societal, social challenges we have, if you keep going down to the essence of them, this idea that we're separate from each other is a big part of why these things exist in the first place. Because if we, if we truly understood, not just that we're like all connected and that we're all in this together, but that we are actually are, are all the same thing, that there's like in that big, big way that we are all the same thing yeah. and that the, the tree, the oak tree um, in the field beside me is not just like my sort of theoretical or mythical relation, but it actually is me. Then how I treat that tree and how I treat the land around it is going to be so different. And how I treat myself and how I treat the person in front of me is going to be so different. Um, I remember running a program in Europe and there was uh, some people from Lebanon on it um, during some of the uh, days of higher conflict in Lebanon and one person just said like it, they would find it impossible to throw a bomb over the wall if they really knew and deeply believed in their bones that the person was themselves that this idea that they were just another expression of who they were they, they couldn't throw that bomb over the wall and and then this third idea that uh, this third lie of we can't do anything is absolutely we are, 
We are here for a reason. We are, everybody on this planet right now is born on purpose, with a purpose. Uh -huh. And um, and that it's our work to, uh, to serve and uh, create a more beautiful world uh, together. Not just individually striving to sort of prove that we're enough, but collectively just to create something more beautiful. Because we all know in our hearts, we all know in our hearts that that's possible. And we all know, actually, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants a more peaceful world. Deep down, if you get close enough to their heart, that's what they'll say. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah the number one request I get is calm. People ask me. If I say, how do you want to feel? They're like, calm, uh, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is peace. Go yeah. ahead. Well, I was just on the calm. I was in back home in uh, Ireland a little while ago, and when I came back to the States, the palpable difference in the sort of collective nervous system here, as opposed to in Europe, this feeling in Europe, and I didn't go to all countries in Europe, obviously, but where I was, this feeling that there is just, the nervous systems are more steady right now. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much political uncertainty and all of these things in the United States, but there is a level of anxiety that seems yeah. very, very high here. And um, it really actually shocked me, the contrast coming back in again. It was like, oh, wow, this is, there's, there's very urgent work to be done around that right now. Mm, uh -huh. so. You know, interesting you say that um, I'm in California and mm -hmm. many people left because of yeah. many reasons. And uh, I was talking to a good friend, she's in South Carolina and she's, mm -hmm. she's like, everyone's, your contrast, like it'd be good, Europe to there is much calmer because here we've been very oppressed during this process. Mm -hmm. And so, the, the interesting, even in the United States, I think there's these varying degrees um, mm -hmm. of nervousness, but yeah, very fascinating to examine yeah. and how we get back to that calm. Um, yeah. I know we're running out of time, so mm -hmm. I want to share, or I would like to ask one more question about um, how one finds their humanity first, like a big question but how you find you would encourage someone to start and self-inquisition to find humanity from within so i find if we can find that it's a little bit easier for me to extend mm -hmm. it to another um so if you have any tips that could help people to start especially if they're you know in a confrontational situation or they they lose it meaning they, yeah. they it's gone <laughs> yeah yeah um I always think there's uh, there's two ways to approach this. One is the, you know, the greatest way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. So to actually give up this idea of finding your humanity and just start serving. And yeah. in that process, you will remember something, something will wake up inside of you. Um, and it'll be the gift as a result of the service. Uh, mm. So that's one way that I think works incredibly well. Um, and then for other people, they're just like, that's just not, I just know that's not the step for me. Uh, and I think it's, it's to really go in and do that work inside. Um, and so for me, over the last little while, there's been a lot of work at looking at uh, trying to be in a place of deeper forgiveness mm -hmm. and uh, seeing um, the anger inside of me and um, noticing that that forgiveness that I'm looking for and the anger that I'm projecting is, is actually really all just about me or 
90% of it feels like it's about me. And so that's the work is, can I, what, what is the forgiveness work look like for me, to me? And um, sometimes it can be very hard to sort of, when we're confronted with somebody that's so, that, um, you know, really sort of sets us off to try to be in a place of forgiveness to that person. Uh, but can I, what, what's the thing that I can sort of hold true for myself? How do I practice loving compassion towards myself? Um, and in that process, I find that I soften and melt and then my capacity for a greater understanding, compassion, listening, et cetera, is just present. Because uh, I think with all of these things is, you know, you look at a child, a young child, their capacity for compassion, and empathy, and love is pretty remarkable. Um, and then and we just kind of layer it over with uh, the conditioning in society that sort of obscures that, never eradicates it, thankfully, but obscures it. Um, and I think one of the things that we're not doing enough of is it, it started to happen after George Floyd was murdered and uh, that there was a sort of a greater kind of public awakening to the realities of the racial oppression and many other oppressions in the United States the injustices and the systemic um, reality of them. But this idea of um, really disrupting ourselves, disrupting our own sort of um, routine and comfort in a way that allows us to understand the other in such a big way. And again, Nelson Mandela did this all the time. He would talk with his Afrikaans jailers to try to understand them. He'd talk with them to just... Uh, to express his contempt for them. He said, I need to understand the the mind here. What is this about? Martin Luther oh. King was punched. Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King was punched on stage when he was giving a speech and some people came to grab this guy and take him out. And he said, we must understand, we must understand the mind of a man who feels that he needs to do that. Oh. Um, until, we until we understand that, um, we're, we're just going to rinse and repeat, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well said all around. You're amazing, Robert. I'll have to have you back for a longer conversation. I want to make sure you can make it to your appointment. Thank <laughs> and, you. And um, thank you for being here. You have a beautiful day and keep shining bright. Yes, you too. Thank you, Robert. Thank yeah. you. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here today for this segment of Indie Creators. And I want to thank you, Robert, once again for being here. We are going to take a little meander out listening to a song called Shine by Kadri Scott. As inspired, check out Robert's great work with the links below. And until next time, this is Suzanne signing out with full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply 